Mavericks know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner, editor of Turn on the editor-in-chief of TurnOnTheJets.com. I got a little messed up there because I got a couple tweets uh, earlier in the week saying that I shouldn't say the owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. I should say the founder of TurnOnTheJets.com. Either way, it's all the same, same host. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dolvin Osario. Dolvin, how you doing tonight? Doing good, Joe. It's good to first pod after winter has finally come, you know, and uh, we are like under under eight weeks from kicking this thing off. So it's getting close here. I'm really excited. Yes, the Jets are reporting to camp in eight days as of the recording of this podcast, so it is here. Uh, this is basically our last pre-training camp podcast. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to go through your guys' qu- questions that were sent over on Twitter uh, to either me at Jay Caparoso or Dolbin at DA uh, underscore Osario. Uh, we are then going to do a couple of minutes talking about Game of Thrones because, hey, there's only seven weeks with it on and we're going to talk about it. And then uh, we're going to wrap with a preview of this week's Play Like a Jet podcast, which will feature Kerry Rhodes. Uh, Another reminder to just go out and subscribe to that podcast on iTunes, hosted by Scott Mason, who's been doing a great job bringing in uh, some different uh, former players, from Rob Carpenter to Adrian Morrell to Kerry Rhodes uh, this week as well. So this will be part two of his interview, but we'll wrap with that. Uh, Before we dive into your Twitter questions this week, I want to remind you guys this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets for fan travel experiences for away games and then also fan experiences at the home games throughout 2017. You can learn more about what they're doing at primesport.com backslash turn the Jets. Make sure to give them a follow on Twitter and Facebook at Primesport. Again, that's Primesport, official team partner of the New York Jets for all your away games, all your home games. Learn more at primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets. All right, first question from Kyle Fahey, NFL. Why did the Jets cut the best possible targets for their young quarterbacks to play with? Dalvin, I will start with you on answering this question because I know you probably disagree with the sentiment around it, uh, and then I will uh, respond after that. Sure, yeah. Um, So it's interesting because I think that in theory, right, and so this is obviously just theoretically, if the Jets were, the argument would be that if the Jets were convinced that Hackenberg was the guy, they would have kept Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall and kind of just gone from there. I, You're right. I, I don't agree with that sentiment. I think that releasing Marshall and to an Decker um, has nothing to do with Hackenberg at all. I think it's just the Jets are trying to build the most well-rounded team that they can. And to be fair, all credit to Brandon Marshall for an amazing 2015 season. But Brandon Marshall does have a tendency, uh, you know, and veteran receivers in general do have this tendency to demand the ball from your young guys. And it puts a lot of pressure on young quarterbacks to force feed them the ball and forcing it only to them ignores the rest of the, obviously the rest of the pass catchers. I think that's a reason I think also I, the Jets, decided and it was clear you know pretty clear as you kind of went on and i know a lot of people scoffed at the time but they made a decision to rebuild this team from the top down they got rid of decker got rid of marshall got rid of harris got rid of mangold ferguson the year before retired you know instead of coming back because the jets kind of let it be known that they weren't going to compete for you know a year or two and he didn't want to be around for that um but yeah i think i don't think it has anything to do with hackenberg i don't think it has anything to do with this belief in one way or the other in hackenberg i think it's very much just them cutting the quote-unquote dead 
I also think that realistically, Quincy Anua, Robbie Anderson, or Darius Stewart, and Chad Hansen, and Jordan Leggett, and Austin Safari and Jenkins should be are young enough to grow with your with your young quarterback if that's what you wanted to do. But it also leaves you very wide open if you land the first or second pick in the draft to draft a young quarterback and not have him worry about a veteran presence at wide receiver. Yeah, look, I mean, I think you could argue this both ways. I do think that the the Jets are not operating like a team who thinks. Christian Hackenberg is their guaranteed future quarterback that they're trying to develop. You know, you look at Tampa Bay and how they built around James Winston this offseason. They added O.J. Howard. They added Deshaun Jackson. They built up the offensive line. You look at how the Titans have built around Marcus Mariota. They signed Eric Decker. They drafted Corey Davis. They used a couple other middle-round picks on wide receivers. Uh, they've made sure he's had Delaney Walker at tight end. And again, they've also built up their offensive line and running back. So the Jets, you know, really this offseason have – you know, not done much. Uh, you know, they've removed Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. Uh, defensible moves considering where they are at uh, in their team-building process right now. Although, again, uh, you do wonder if Decker could have provided some value over the next couple of years, particularly to a young receiver. Uh, and then, really, all they did offensively was sign one free agent. They signed Calvin Beecham uh, to plug the hole that was left by Ryan Clady, uh, even though he was not very good last year. So, you know, Bleacham was probably their biggest, quote-unquote, biggest signing this offseason. Not a huge signing, really, overall, because he was the guy who struggled a lot last year, which is why he was cut after one season in Jacksonville. And then in the draft, you know, we know they used their first two position, uh, their first two picks in the safety position. So it wouldn't – and, you know, on top of that also, they spent $6 million on Josh McCown. Uh, it's not like they decided to go out and spend $600,000 on TJ Yates or Matt McGloin or, or somebody else who would be less of a threat – uh, to play over Hackenberg. They, they put a decent amount of money into McCown. So, yes, I understand that they built up other parts of the roster. You know, they invested in the back end of the defense. You know, they paid, got Morris Claiborne in free agency. But it does not, you know, have that same vibe that, you know, yes, Christian Hackenberg's our guy. We're going to do every single thing we can to make sure that he's in a position to succeed this year so that, this fan base, this organization is confident that he's the guy going forward. Now, I like Quincy Inouye better than anybody, and I think Robbie Anderson has plenty of potential, and I do think long-term uh, this group of receivers could be very good. Hackenberg's got a one-year audition here, though. It, it, he doesn't have a, a multi-year audition. If he does not prove himself over the 8, 12, 16 games that he starts, the Jets are going to use that first-round draft pick on a quarterback, which we'll get to in our next question. So, you know, I think it's debatable how much they value, not value him internally, but how sold they are that he realistically uh, is going to be that long-term guy. And we'll, we'll see a lot in training camp, uh, whether McCown is the guy who starts week one, whether Petty's the backup or Hackenberg's the backup, whether Hackenberg or Petty start week one, or if McCown starts week one, how long it takes to move to one of the young, young quarterbacks. All right, next question from Rory McGew in 93. Do you think the 2018 quarterback class could be as good as the 2004 class? If it is, what QB would you take and why? What do you think, Dio? Yes, I do think it could be as good as the 2004 class. Um, I, well, it's always interesting because I feel like last year people were like, oh, this is like you kind of hear this from different people as you lead up to the drafts. Oh, this quarterback class is really good. And then you have some people who will say, oh, no, this quarterback class is bad. You should wait till next year. And it's always next year, always next year. But this class for me i think i think there's about maybe 12 or 13 quarterbacks that if they if they were in last year's draft would have probably gone higher except for obviously watson and mahomes who i thought were the two 
best ones, um, would have gone higher than Trubisky, higher than Kaiser, higher than, you know, a lot of the below average passers that got taken last year. And I understood the guy that was going to go undrafted, took him in the third round. Uh, that's the kind of draft that you saw because you end up reaching for quarterbacks. Even the year before that, when you saw Hackenberg go in rounds two and you saw Cardell Jones go and Connor Cook go, those are guys that realistically in another, in a regular draft wouldn't have gone. Like just wouldn't have been drafted just because they weren't very good. So yes, I think this draft class has the chance to be as good as the 2004 class. What's going to make or break this class is the depth of it. Because for example, right now, if you ask anybody, the top three quarterbacks for me are Rosen, Darnold, and Allen from Wyoming. Now I like Rosen as my quarterback one. That's who I'm going into the season with as the number one quarterback because I think there's there's a lot to be said for a kid who again plays the way. A true freshman comes back next, comes back the year after, and even with a shoulder injury, still plays not as good as his freshman year, but still pretty good. I think he's got the experience that I would look for, as opposed to hitching my wagon to a quarterback that's only had nine starts in the Pac-12. That worries me. That worries me a lot. What also worries me about Darnold is that I, I don't, I don't get the feeling from him that he is a big game performer. He's had some, his, most of his bad games last year were games in high-profile matchups. He's going to have a lot more this year because USC is on national TV a lot because of him. I wouldn't be so quick to take him. I would take Rosen if that's if, if the Jets were on the clock with it and had a chance to take a quarterback. He's the one that I would take. Um, I think Allen is going to be the guy that kind of shoots up the board a little bit, kind of like Carson Wentz, a little like Ben Roethlisberger in 2004. And he may end up being the best one, but if, you, if the draft was today and the Jets were on the clock and the three quarterbacks were on the board, Rosen's the guy that I'm taking. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it is so, so, so early. But, yes, it does appear that there's going to be anywhere from three to six quarterbacks taken in the first round of next year's NFL draft, which, you know, is an interesting thing for a team like the Jets who are likely going to be looking to address the quarterback position. And that means, you know, even if they end up picking, you know, seventh to twelfth, they will have um, more, you know, options. And, even if the Jets end up in that 7-12 to 12 range and they fall in love with a guy who ends up being a first-round pick, I, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily put it past them to make an aggressive move to go up and get their guy if they really fall in love with somebody. You know, right now, I think the top quarterback is between Rosen or Darnold. I, I similarly to you, trend a little more towards Rosen. I'm curious, you know, to see how Darnold handles the spotlight this year if he ends up going back to school another year. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see. And I, I just think there's other guys out there uh, among some of the names that you mentioned. Uh, some of these guys are going to be completely debated. There's people who are saying Lamar Jackson can't play quarterback in the NFL. There are other people saying that he could be a top 10, top 12 pick. So a lot could change over the course of one season. But I, I do think Jet fans should feel confident that there should be a very good crop of quarterback talent next year. And if this team is serious about addressing the position early in the draft, uh, they will have the means to do so. As as of now, they have eight picks for the draft. If they trade Sheldon Richardson, they'll have nine. Uh, so they might be able to get aggressive if they really need to move up and go get somebody that they really want. Sometimes you need to do that just to address the position. All right, next question from WC McPhee. What's the move this offseason the Jets will regret the most by the end of the season and the move that will be the most rewarding? Good question. What do you think, Dalvin? That is a good question. Uh, um, so I think the one that they will regret the most is, is – oh, man. Okay, so this is 
So I think the one that they will regret the most is not cutting Decker and Harris earlier in the offseason because, again, like with the with the extra cap space, they could have like they could have gone after either Zach Brown or offered more money to Dante Dante Hightower or maybe been in play for one of the cornerbacks or something like that. I think not having that cap space earlier also helps with optics. And I know we talk a lot about that, Joe, about how the team really shouldn't listen to that and really shouldn't worry about that. But a big reason why I think the uproar came with the Harrison-Decker cuts is because of how long they waited. It just looked ridiculous. Um, and then you try to spin it as like, oh, well, if they had – they got Demario Davis, so that made David Harris expendable. And that's kind of laughable because it's like, well, I have this Toyota Civic, so I'm not going to buy a Benz or something like that. It just kind of sounds crazy. Um, but so I think that's the one th – those are the moves that are going to come back and bite them. The one that I think – is going to reap immediate dividends is the drafting of Jamal Adams. And again, I can't sing his praises enough, and I won't spend ample time doing it in this podcast. You can listen to one of the last 20, and you'll hear me say it. I think that he was the best player in the draft, hands down. I think he's a transformative player. I think you stick him in that defense, and automatically the defense changes. And what you get with him and with Marcus May to an extent is that those shots down the field that you were getting repeatedly beat on, that should not happen next year because these guys are too good to allow that to happen consistently. So I think the Jamal Adams drafting is the one that's going to make the most sense and it's going to pay the most immediate dividends. Yeah, I mean, this is a challenging question because the Jets were not overly active this offseason as we've seen in other offseasons. I think a couple moves that they will regret, as you mentioned, I think particularly if Christian Hackenberg or Bryce Petty are playing quarterback, they are going to miss having a guy like Eric Decker uh, in the intermediate in the intermediate passing game and in the red zone. I think Darren Lee is going to struggle substantially with Demario Davis or Bruce Carter or Spencer Pazinger next to him. I think having that one season of Harris next to him uh, would have been helpful and put a little less pressure on his year two development. I think he's going to struggle. Uh, next to Demario Davis, and it's going to be hard to evaluate exactly how far he has come. I do wonder, and it is way too early for this, but I'm just saying I do wonder if we're going to look at a third-round situation where, you know, should the Jets have taken Chris Godwin instead of Ardarius Stewart, who's already 24 and has now had two surgeries, where Godwin's 21 and is playing well on the Bucks' offense? That could be one we hear about. And then I think what's going to be an interesting comparison point, and I do think that Jamal Adams is going to be a very good to great player on this defense, but I wonder when we look back, the Colts addressed their secondary by taking Malik Hooker and Quincy Wilson in the second round. The Jets addressed their secondary by taking Jamal Adams and Marcus May. I'm curious to see how that breaks. Uh, maybe less on the first round, because I could absolutely see Adams being a better pro than Hooker, but... You know, with Wilson and with the Jets ignoring the cornerback position until the sixth round in the NFL draft, I think that could be problematic. Uh, on the other end, I think they took a good flyer on Kelvin Beecham. I think they might have found their left tackle for the next few years at a relatively low cost. Uh, I think, you know, defensively, as we mentioned, that Adams has the potential to be a very good player right out of the gate and being defensive rookie of the year discussion. And then I hope that we see offensively they lean more on Bilal Powell and Quincy Nuwan, give them the necessary touches. And they've kind of cleared out the depth chart to do that, uh, and they've spoke about doing that, but I'll believe it when I see it. But if they do do that, that will be a very smart move that should lead to more offensive productivity. All right, next question from Desmond Reeves. What does Petty have to do for the Jets not to draft a QB next year? Hack is here either way, in my opinion. <laughs> um, 
Oh man, that that's an interesting one because I do think that I mean I'm surprised Bryce Petty Bryce Petty is still on the roster now to be honest. Um, I think that so here's the thing with Bryce Petty and I guess the caveat for me would be does he see meaningful reps this off season and into the regular season? If he does, I think one book the Jets for the first or second pick in the draft because he's awful. But two, then if that happens, they'll probably take a quarterback then and then that'll get him off the roster anyway, right? Um, I think that ultimately there's nothing Bryce Petty can do to be on the roster next year. I think that he this is the this is the end of the line for him. I'm saying that off the fact that I think the Jets will draft a quarterback next year, whether that's in the first round, second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round. I think they do get a signal caller uh, for them to develop behind Hackenberg or if they take somebody in the early first round, it's to obviously be their franchise guy. Um, I do not think that Bryce Petty showed any thing last year. I know a lot of Jet fans, and I've seen him in your mentions, Joe, on Twitter all the time. Oh my God, he he, 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 he played fine, and he played really well against San Francisco when reality he didn't. It's kind of like when people hype up the Hackenberg game against the Giants in the preseason, like, as evidence that he's a he's an actual NFL signal caller. Um, no, I don't I don't think, I to answer his question, I don't think there's anything that Bryce Petty can do to be on the roster next year, barring Hackenberg getting hurt, McCown getting hurt, him getting significant reps, and him turning into Tom Brady, which I've seen a lot of people call him that in your mentions as well um, other than that I don't see I don't see a scenario where he's on the roster next year yeah he, he really has an uphill battle I, I think again he did not have a huge sample size last year but it was not encouraging when he was out there uh, couldn't stay healthy uh, was very inaccurate uh, the arm strength was a little overhyped he was turning the ball over at a very high rate uh, and this team just paid McCown six million dollars they invested a higher asset in Hackenberg they're more invested in either two of those guys playing rather than Petty. So I think like Dalvin said, Petty might have a tough time sticking on the roster this year, never mind next year. He would have to start, you know, I would think six to ten games and show substantial improvement from last season uh, to stick around beyond this year. He has an uphill climb, but you never know. Uh, you know, McCown is the kind of guy who could easily get hurt early in the season, and then if Hackenberg is struggling or he gets hurt, then maybe Petty does end up starting an extended period of time and finds a way to stick around beyond this year. But it is not going to be an easy battle for him. It's definitely going to be an uphill climb. All right, next question from our buddy Jeff Lloyd. Which wide receiver has the most receptions after a new on Anderson? Uh, I do think the answer to this is our Darius Stewart. I think the Jets are going to manufacture a lot of touches for him in the short passing game. Screens, bubble screens, uh, swing screens, smoke screens, short hitches, short slants. Uh, I think he's going to have a low yards per catch and not really be a factor in the red zone. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he was the kind of guy who had like 34 catches for like 400 yards with one touchdown. And then Chad Hansen is the kind of guy who has like 17 catches for 390 yards and two or three touchdowns. So more of a big play guy. But if I had to just go on a pure reception count, I think Stewart is probably the safest bet. Uh, if Robbie Anderson is struggling or can't stay healthy, I would bump up a guy like Chad Hansen or Sharon Peak potentially. What do you think? Um, so I will disagree with you slightly. I think Hansen actually ends up being the second, the guy with the second most catches. I think that he is going to hit the ground running. I think that he's very NFL ready. I think his size makes him an ideal matchup against second corners. So I guess to answer Jeff's question, sure. It'll probably be our, Dar our Darius Stewart if that breaks out. But I will actually say that it will be Quincy Anua, Chad Hansen, and then Robbie Anderson as the one with the third most catches. I think Hansen's going to have a really nice year. I think he's going to surprise a lot of a lot of people. I think that he has solid speed. He runs pretty good routes. He's big and he plays bigger, which is always impressive to me with bigger receivers because you always worry that big receivers 
play small. This was a knock on Eric Decker for some reason when he came over here. Um, but I think Hanson ends up being second on the team in catches, and I think it'll be Robbie Anderson who's third. Okay, final question here, and we'll talk a little GOT and rap. From Ferrar 41 our good friend, what do you guys think is the realistic upside of the offensive line, both for 2017 and beyond? I think your best-case scenario for the offensive line this year is that the last three games were not a mirage for Brandon Shell, and he's a good right tackle, which means McCagnan found uh, a very good mid-to-late-round pick and was right in trading an asset to get him. Brian Winters continues to be the guy he was last year before he was hurt. James Carpenter is the same player he was the past two years. Uh, Wesley Johnson uh, is the guy who showed some flashes down the stretch and is someone who gets a new contract from the team. And if that happens, that means you know those four guys uh, are coming back and they're going to be your long-term offensive line. It's kind of the same thing with Kelvin Beecham, who's basically on a two-year contract. You want Beecham to be good enough where he's going to be back uh, in 2018, which means there's a realistic chance... If all these guys play to their potential or their hoped potential uh, by the Jets, you have the same five starters next year because it's such a young group. Everyone is 28 years old or younger. You know, Beecham's the oldest guy in this group, and he's 28. Uh, so the Jets are going to be banking on guys like Shell and guys like Johnson uh, really taking the next step and proving they could be starters. If they don't, this offensive line could fall apart very quickly because there is not a lot of depth there. What, what is your thought on the unit, Dalvin? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I think you nailed it on the head. The one thing that worries me is, like, you mentioned the depth, but more also what happens when, because James Carpenter was a really good signing, but he's got this coming year and next year left on his deal. The Jets need to start thinking about, do you draft an interior lineman that you can develop? You know, Odeabushi went to Seattle, and he was a guy that was drafted and could have been that inter- that internal offensive lineman that you could have developed. Um, but I, I, I think the offensive line is solid. I, I think Beecham is an upgrade over Clady. I think Winters and Carpenter are arguably, if not in the – well, no, they should be in the discussion for best guard duo in the league. Um, I think Wesley Johnson showed that he could be fine. Brandon Shell is the key, and he played really well in his, in his appearances. He played – fantastically but now can you do that over 16 games i think that's going to be the key because if the jets have to start utilizing a tight end or a fullback to chip block or to give help in pass protection for him then that limits hackenberg or mccown's options in the passing game and you don't want to do that you want as many pass catchers out there as possible and that's i know a lot of people continue to harp and say that that morton is going to run the saints offense and while i don't necessarily know if that's true i think that one of the things that we found is that in new orleans there was four pass catchers out at all times usually the only extra blocker you had in there was the running back so the jets need if they're going to run that they're going to have to you know figure out a way for shell to do what he needs to do for a full season but i think the offensive line is fine both this year and next year the concern does become after next year though because you have no depth and again if beecham reverts back to who he was last year in Jacksonville for most of the season, then you have nobody to replace him with. If Carpenter struggles and you in turn end up cutting bait after this season, you have nobody to replace him either, and it's something to watch. All right, before we wrap, let's talk a little bit about the Game of Thrones premiere. Uh, What are your thoughts, Theo? I think it was a little bit of a a solid table-setting episode, as we've come to expect uh, in Game of Thrones premieres, and it... I know some episodes this season are set to run a little longer, and I don't know if this one was necessarily in that batch where it ran you know, 5 to 10 or 15 minutes longer than a normal episode, but it felt longer. But it did feel like it moved along well. A lot of action out of the gate. 
But I think this has been a, a pretty well-reviewed episode, and I'm I'm on board with that. I, I was excited by what we saw. I just but now it's like I feel like you have to sprint starting in the second episode because there's only six left now this season, which is already giving me anxiety with how many things that need to happen. <laughs> I mean, I didn't I didn't think there was anything all that surprising outside of maybe seeing Ed Sheeran and having to delete his Twitter account because people <laughs> online are just awful. But uh, Beyond that, I didn't think there was anything that was shocking. I, I did think Euron put on a little bit of a show as being a, a potentially solid uh, villain this season because you definitely need that big villain beyond Cersei with uh, Ramsay dead. But a- any surprises for you? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think it, it, it did run longer. It ran like 10 minutes longer. But apparently some of the some of the episodes, I think like two of them are an hour and a half long this season. Because, again, it's so it's so short. It's only eight episodes total. And after this Sunday, we only have six left, which is kind of it's kind of insane. Um, I think there's a there's a lot that happened that we're going to see payoffs for. Right. So, like, obviously, John still doesn't know his his lineage, but we do. I think we've all kind of guessed what it is. And so we know that um, the fact that, like, if you go back and watch even some of the other episodes, like I, I was watching I was watching them before the episode premiered and you go back to the Balor episode where Ned loses his head and Aemon Targaryen's laughing at John. And now that seems even more telling. Right. So here it is. It ends with Danny getting to Dragonstone and saying, listen, like, you know, let's begin but realistically, she's not the heir to the throne. It's John, And so that that's kind of mind-blowing a little bit because I do now wonder how we are going to get there. Because while John is focused on, obviously, the White Walkers and, and, you know, getting ready to fight the Night King and all of that, and, again, here comes the Night King with a damn giant, so I'm sure at some point we're going to get a, a, a white dire wolf or something like that. But John's very much focused on that, and the reality is he's the king of the Seven Kingdoms, and he's going to have to be the one that unites them all to fight against this oncoming threat. So I, I'm curious to see how we get there. Also, finally seeing the Starks in Winterfell, I think, is, re- is really cool. Like seeing Sansa and, and John, seeing Arya just absolutely slaughter the phrase. It's like, listen, it's payback for the Red Wedding, so that worked. Um, but I don't, Sansa has a chance, Arya has a chance to go north, and she elects to go after Cersei. And that, I don't know, I, I hope that we do not get one more Stark death, because I don't think I can take it. Yeah, I think we're going to get Bran back in Winterfell, hopefully by next episode. I, I think you know, this is not an overly bold prediction, because uh, I've seen this out there in a few other places, but I think we're heading towards Jamie killing Cersei in the next two or three episodes. I, I don't know how, how much longer that's going to last, but it feels like that's being foreshadowed uh, to happen soon. So that's my, that's my big, bold prediction uh, for the next few episodes outside of uh, Arya getting her direwolf back next week, which should be a nice heartwarming m- moment for the crowd. Do you have any a- outside-the-box predictions for the next couple episodes? You know, I think... And so... I- and I've read the book, so like for me, the fact that we haven't seen Lady Stoneheart yet is kind of mind-boggling, and I guess that they just cut her out. Um, so that's fine, whatever, I guess. Um, barring that, I think maybe what we'll see is exactly what you're saying, more more kind of prophesizing of Jamie being the one to kill Cersei. I think that's kind of what we're heading towards. And if you would have have told me that that would have happened in season one, I would have believed you. So I think that's still even outside the box, because Jamie does love her, and again, incest is side that's the person he loves um and so i i i don't know what happens but i think you're right i think we're just barreling towards him being the one that kills her all right that's our few minutes of game of thrones which we'll do each week throughout the season probably dive a little deeper as we get uh, deeper into the season uh before we wrap we're gonna throw it to uh, scott mason a preview next week's or this week's play like a jet episode 
Make sure to follow Dalbin on Twitter at DA underscore Asario. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Jay Caparoso. Uh, please subscribe to the Turn of the Jets podca- podcast on iTunes. We're all of 11 reviews away from 100, so help us get there. Uh, make sure to check out our store on The Loyalist. Uh, we'll continue to push those. Give the ball to a new on Powell t-shirts. Those at least were not Buffalo t-shirts. Those tank, tanks, and t-shirts. Dalbert, any final words? Uh, yeah. Uh, don't get into any trouble, New York Jets. We are, we're getting really close to the season, and nobody's gotten arrested, so that's good. Um, yeah, no, just really excited. And Scott and I are launching a new series. It should, first article should be out tomorrow called Pardon the Turbulence, where we discuss what else do Jet fans discuss in the offseason but other teams' quarterbacks. So we'll be talking about that. So look for that tomorrow. All right, everybody. We will be back next week. Thank you for listening, and uh, we're going to wrap up with Scott here. Okay, and before we wrap this week, we want to give you a special preview of this week's Play Like a Jet, another one of our podcasts at Turn on the Jets Digital, where our host Scott Mason looks at some of the most memorable seasons and moments throughout Jet history and talks to different players uh, who were involved in those seasons. So, you know, we just launched this podcast. I believe we're about six episodes in. Appreciate all the feedback we've gotten so far. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave a review. Please uh, interact with Scott on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. Uh, And without further ado, I'll throw it to Scott to preview this week's episode. Thanks, Joe. And just to add on to that, for all of our shows, for the TOJ podcast with Joe and Dalvin, for me and Big John at Play Like a Jet, for Jeff Lloyd and for Dalvin also at uh, Draft Season, please make sure you leave us some iTunes reviews and subscribe on iTunes. It doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't cost you anything, but it really helps us out a lot. So if you could do that, it would be great. And this week, if you do subscribe, you will hear part two of our in-depth interview with Kerry Rhodes talking about the year 2008, the year Brett Favre came to town. Kerry Rhodes, a fun one to hear from, especially now because we're all looking at Marcus May and Jamal Adams as they come in as the first and second round picks of the Jets in this past year's draft. Kerry Rhodes, the last guy the Jets had to make a Pro Bowl at the safety position. So you get to hear more from him and get his insights into the 2008 season with Brett Favre. The ups and the downs, including a six-touchdown game from Brett Favre, which was absolutely unbelievable, where they destroyed the team that would go into the Super Bowl that year, the Arizona Cardinals. You're going to hear all about uh, many other things, including his thoughts on Darrell Revis and how he saw early on, even in his second year, how great Darrell Revis was going to be and even some things that they did to prepare together and how Kerry kind of mentored him a little bit in the 2008 season. All that and more, tune in this Friday. It'll be available at iTunes and also turnonthejets.com. And Joe, once again, glad to be a part of Turn on the Jets Digital. And for everybody who hasn't subscribed yet, please do and subscribe to the TOJ podcast and draft season. We've got something really great going here. And thanks so much to everybody who's been checking out all our podcasts. Absolutely. Thank you, Scott. And again, that's going to launch on Friday on our website, turnonthejets.com, and also on iTunes under Play Like a Jet. Uh, It's been great to see the roster of people we've had come out from from episodes so far, from Rob Carpenter to Adrian Morrell to now Kerry Rhodes, uh, Nicholas Dodoff, and uh, we're just going to continue to push forward there. So make sure to check that out this Friday, and then we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast and another new episode of Play Like a Jet. Thanks for listening, everybody.